the intro could be me listing things I don't want to talk about. It could be yeah. the, right. the most disrespectful to me <laughs> intro you could possibly could have. Possibly hey, Fred, hey, Fred, is there anything you don't want to talk about? I list all the things I don't want to talk about. And we make it the first like, hey, thing that people hear. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome new listeners. This. this is what Fred's going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co-host XJ. As always, he is my brilliant co-host Jeff. And today, Jeff, we have a very special guest who are, we, are, we are privileged to have, honored to have, the Cats and Shoot specialist himself, Nick's beat writer for The Athletic, Fred Katz. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. We're super happy to have you. Um, I got to tell you, as I just alluded to here at High Hand Theory, we are very analytical. We're very statistically and data-driven. So basically, it's a long way of saying this is a very nerdy podcast. Um, and I get the sense just personally, you know, watching you on Nick's film school on Cats and Shoot, um, that you were not getting stuffed into any lockers in high school. But um, I just want you to confirm or deny that for me in the kind of traditional archetypal sense. Were you more of like a nerd type or like a jock type in high school? I uh, the only reason I wasn't stuffed into lockers was because I was too fat to fit into them. <laughs> Well, that's that's conveniently helpful. I, I, no. I would assume. Also, I don't know. I don't know if I, I. I don't think I fit into really a box either. Like I played sports growing up, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I just kind of had had friends in all different kinds of kinds of friend friend groups. I, I would say I didn't really fit into any particular like stereotype as a kid, beyond the fact that I was a bad student. That one I fit into. <laughs> That's a, a nice giant size box right there, just the bad student box. Um, <laughs> but that's good to know. I, I I would I would agree with that. By the way, Jeff, where, where'd you fit in? By the way, to bring to bring you into the conversation. I'm just give a boring answer. I was similar to Fred. I was a bit of an everyman. I played like every sport growing up. I did okay in school, but like Fred, I didn't do. I did good on like standardized tests and stuff, but I didn't do good at the stuff that required preparation and effort. I'm sure that's very, you know, good for our listeners to hear. But yeah, very boring. So three similar folks here yeah. as far as the non-box fitting high school uh, type archetype. So uh, that was a boring question. But we got some more interesting questions coming up. Um, you know, Fred, we want to ask you as as sort of I think you would call it some kind of inside baseball questions about reporting um, you know, as well as some broader questions about the Knicks, you know, the team and the league in general. Um, but we want to start with the kind of inside baseball type questions. Um, Jeff, do you want to kick it off for us? Yeah, I um, honestly, Fred, when we knew we were going to have you on, this was kind of for me, the reason I wanted to have you on because, you know, you, you have so many good articles. You're always tweeting out good stuff. And sometimes I have the unfortunate uh experience of reading reactions to your <laughs> articles you know like you'll get comments you'll get questions and sometimes I have these comments and questions myself you know I'm just like oh man why didn't he ask this why didn't he ask that and so this can be very broad but I'd really just love it if real quick you could just run us through what exactly your job allows you to do what like if you have a oh I have an article idea do you just have can you write anything you want if you want to talk to a player, do you have access to any player you want, any practice you want? I'd love to just hear, I'd love to break down 
what you're able to do so that anyone who's listening to this going forward, they don't pepper you with those silly, maybe silly questions they may have for you when you, when you write an article. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely encouraged at the athletic to, if I think it's interesting, write it. And my rule of thumb is if I think it's interesting, I'm going to do it. And, you know, you hear musicians and I'm not going to compare myself to a successful musician in general, but I do think this one trait is totally true, which is I hear musicians talk all the time about how there are songs they don't think are particularly commercial, but they end up becoming hits and it's because they were writing it for themselves. And when they wrote something for themselves that they really wanted, they were like, what kind of music do I want to listen to? What kind of music do I want? This is what I want. This is what I'm putting out there. People can kind of sense the passion and the joy in that. And also because you enjoy that thing, you just are naturally going to put more work into it. It's going to be less exhausting. You're going to care more about the little tiny nuances and the really tiny little minuscule word choices that might make the difference between an A minus sentence and an A plus sentence, but you don't even realize it if you're not totally and completely locked into that story. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough where I have a, I have an awesome editor. We get along amazing. He's great. And he just really encourages me. Like there's never a time where I'm like, like, I don't even say like, Hey, this, I was thinking this, what do you think? Like, it's just, I think this is interesting. I really want to write this thing. He's always like, yeah, go for it. Of course. Or, you know, every once in a while he'll be like, Hey, I'd love to learn more about this. Like how is, how would you want to attack this? And I'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. I could, I can maybe do this. I could talk to this. Let me talk to some people and figure it out. As for gathering information, it really varies depending on the, on the topic, depending on the player, depending on the team that you cover. You know, I've covered three teams and, you know, I cover, I was on the Thunderbeat. And then I was on the Wizards beat. Now I'm on the Knicks beat. Different organizations operate differently. And some are more closed off to media. Some are less closed off to media. When I was covering the Wizards, for example, I knew that anytime I wanted to talk to Bradley Beal, like we had a very good professional relationship. So I, I, I knew anytime I wanted to talk to Bradley Beal. And you don't want to just ask a player for a one-on-one -on -one every day because then you're just, you're overextending yourself. You come off as unappreciative and all of a sudden you're annoying. You know, the same reason you wouldn't just like ask someone, you know, for a favor every day. When especially we, would, like, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't ask you to be on the podcast. Every single day. You know, like, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. we we're going to extend that invitation for you to, to come on every week, but okay. We got, got it now. We every, got, we got the point. Every we week, got it every day. And so, and so you just, you don't want to ask that. So you want to pick your spots and depending on the relationships you have with certain people, depending on certain people's personalities, you can pick your, you, you can pick your spots more or less with like Bradley Beal. I knew if I needed Brad, if I had something that, that I wanted his voice exclusively for, I could go up to him after his post-game availability. And I could be like, Hey, you mind if I walk out of the locker room with you? And he and I'd walk out of the locker room together. We would talk for a few minutes and he would kind of stand, he'd, he'd walk to his family and then we'd finish up chatting with his family there and that would be it. And I knew he was going to say yes because he was always so, he's so cooperative with the beat reporters. There are other guys who you just, who are just not going to say yes to that. And so you either ask and you say no, or you just know you're not going to get them or you really pick your spots and you're just like, I know I can, there's some guys who you're like, I know I can get this guy like twice a year. 
he has two yeses in him. He has two yeses, but I have to really choose when I'm going to use those because I don't want to ask, hey, can I get you for this? And it's just for some stupid, meaningless story that's a throwaway. Like, I'm saving this up for the big blowout feature. You know what I mean? And it's not always because that person is a dick. There are certain people who I cover who are just like scared of public speaking. You know, Seinfeld, Seinfeld has that famous quote about how the number one or famous joke about how the number one people's number one fear is public speaking. Their second biggest fear is death. That means at a funeral, people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. And it's a great Seinfeld joke. And that's something you kind of have to deal with as a reporter and be respectful of where there are just like people who, who don't want to get out in front of that. So it really depends. Like you could cover somebody like Josh Hart who like, sometimes I want to be, sometimes I want to walk out to Josh Hart and be just like, Josh, I'm actually declining an interview request from you. Like you're just walking up to me and talking to me. You're too available right now. <laughs> <laughs> go, go prep for the game. You're good. You're good. Like it's going to be the only case where like the players are going to put out tweets after a game. Josh Hart's going to tweet out the media did not make itself available to talk to me after the game. <laughs> and, and there's some guys like that where it's just like unlimited bullets with Josh. He is so cooperative. He's so easy. He's obviously a great interview. And you know, if you have something, if you're serious about your job and he sees that you're, you're serious about your job and he enjoys talking to you, he's always down to help you out. And so it just kind of depends on, you know, the personal relationships that you build up with people. Cause most of the interactions that I have with players is not an interview, you know, and the vast majority of interactions I have with players is me being in the locker room before the game and just kind of us just chatting about life or making jokes or whatever. That's how you get to know the people who you cover. And then that kind of sets up a dynamic for how an interview can go. Yeah, that that's such a thorough and great answer and and really brings us behind the scenes to what your your job is like and that's really what we're trying to get at here. Um I, in that answer you talked about a lot of things. You talked about at first having a passion for the topic you're interested in being like key. Um and I guess my question is what do you think are the biggest attributes that you have to have to be an NBA reporter and like what's the most challenging part because the the thing that comes to mind for me as hearing you talk is like curiosity because you you kind of have to constantly think of new things to inquire about or dive into and that that seems like the hardest part to me you know from the outside so yeah what what do you think are the things that you really need to have to do it successfully and what are the most challenging i can name them in no particular order curiosity is definitely one because the thing is that like one thing that bothers me you talk about like comments and stuff. And one thing that that can bother me is when people say, who cares about in player interviews? They just say they get asked the same crap all the time and they say the same crap every time. And they get asked a lot of the same stuff a lot of the time. And that's definitely true. But the good interviews are not like the ones you're seeing generally are not the ones you're seeing on MSG after the game. The, the good interviews are done away from a scrum. The good interviews present themselves because of something that you learn just in a conversation with somebody 
who's behind the scenes, who then you say, oh, hey, can I can I actually talk to you about that? For example, I'm, I'm chatting on, what day is it? It's Wednesday. So Monday before they played in Houston. I'm talking to Dante DiVincenzo before the game. And Dante is just like a huge hoops head, just loves watching ball. And so he and I just talk basketball. Like any two people who are NBA fans would talk basketball, you know? We're just talking about around the league stuff. And I was talking to, and I mentioned something about just kind of how consistent his jump shot has been, even as we're talking about shooting in general. And I mentioned something about how, how consistent his jump shot has been, even as defenses have started to just swarm him so much more now because they're just like trying to deny him at half court. And he was, and he was like, yeah, you know, I, honestly like playing with Steph totally changed that for me and he said the one thing from playing with Steph that was so interesting is like I really got to me that with Steph it's all about angling his shoulders and I I cut Dante off and I was like dude I don't know where you're going with this but it's gonna be so interesting can I turn my recorder on right now because I feel like this would be awesome to write and he was like yeah sure so I I just took out my recorder and I turned on my recorder and we had a whole conversation about how his jump shooting fundamentals kind of changed playing with Steph, where, where he concentrates so much more now. He cares so much less about his lower body than he does on where his shoulders are angled when he's shooting. And it's changed the way he shoots. You notice he very, very rarely now misses right or left. And that's where the conversation started. And that was not intended to be an interview. It just kind of naturally happened. And sometimes that's the way it goes, but it's because Dante and I have this sort of relationship where we just like kind of talk ball. Like he's, I love covering people who love basketball because I love basketball and it's so much fun to be able to talk to people who know the game at so much higher of a level than I ever will. You learn so much. You know, whether that's, you know, certain players who know the game at an insane level, coaches, execs, whatever. You just so many opportunities to learn. And so I'll just talk, you know, ball with Dante and all of a sudden that comes up. And now at some point I'll have a story on kind of how how playing with Stephen Curry led to this really subtle change. I'll probably angle it around when they play Golden State in a month. But like how how Stephen Curry led to these really sudden like subtle changes for DiVincenzo and now DiVincenzo is having the best shooting season of his career, not just the best shooting season of his career. He's one of the best three point shooters in the league period, you know, from everywhere on every kind of shot. And I just, that kind of stuff comes out of just casual conversations. Sometimes it just comes up when you're not, I wasn't intending to write that story, you know, but sometimes it just pops up and you, your antenna always kind of has to be there. And that's comes back to what I was saying at the start, which is if I just write what I think is interesting, that also makes it easier to identify what's a story and what's not because you're training yourself to be like, like when Dante says that I was like, damn, that's, that's so interesting. And then as soon as I think, wow, that's so interesting. As soon as it gets me, like, then I get this little rush. It's like a drug. I get this little rush. I'm like, oh, story, you know, give it to me. And 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 I'm like, dude, can I turn on my reporter and my recorder? Like, I'd love to write this. This is so interesting. And and usually with that kind of stuff, players are going to be like, 
Yeah, sure. Especially if it's someone you have a relationship, they're going to be like, like almost always, they're going to be like, yeah, sure. Because I think, I think, and I can only speak for me with this. I think one advantage that I have is that I'm like really, really, really obsessed with the game. I just, I love basketball so much. And I think that that tends to come through because it's very genuine for me when I talk with people. And so when people start telling me things that I think are really interesting about the game and I'm like, Oh my God, can I write? This, this is so interesting. I think almost like people sometimes feed off of my enthusiasm for it. You know what I mean? And they get enthused about it too. And I think that that helps me. It's not an intentional thing, but it's just like, I think when somebody is really passionate about something, it can rub off on people around them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that is so like we've had two big conversations this year on this pod about DiVincenzo. Um, the first one was after they signed them and XJ pretty prophetically, honestly, in hindsight was like, I'm worried that they view DiVincenzo as a quickly replacement. He said that in the off season and you look at all the advanced data at the time and it was like, yeah, DiVincenzo is a nice role player, but he's not Emmanuel quickly. And Frankly, DiVincenzo has been better than quickly this season. And then we had the second conversation around the trade when DiVincenzo was shooting gangbusters. And me and XJ were like, well, how sustainable can this be? You look at the history of shooting. You look at outlier seasons. How can this maintain? And when DiVincenzo is doing something like this, you don't even consider like, hey, maybe this 26-year-old just had a breakthrough with shooting. You don't even consider the human aspect of it sometimes when you are in into analytics and you're trying to um, apply them to a sport, you don't even consider the human aspect of something like that. So that's where, you know, someone like you, who I, you know, I read every single thing you put out, you apply analytics all the time, but you also marry it to the human aspect of basketball. And that's where the human aspect is so important. Um, I think that's going to bring me to our last question about the broader aspect. And this can just, can, I, can I just add one thing? Cause that's a really oh, yeah. great point. And I'm glad that comes through because it's something that I, I try really hard to do because I do look at a ton of analytics and I, I do watch film and I do try to have a greater understanding for that stuff. And, and one of the things that I think that as a reporter, what you really truly have to have in you is you can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer and you can't ever think that you, okay, I have it. I have enough. You just kind of have to keep trying to gather as much information as you can from every single different angle that you can possibly get. Even when you think you know the answer, even when you're certain, okay, I've got it. Because there might be something else that maybe it contributes to what you already believe. Maybe you're right. Maybe you totally have it. But it's just another interesting perspective, another tidbit of information that if you lose your curiosity about that, then the story is just not going to be as good. So like, for example, like you can, you can, I had the exact same thought with DiVincenzo about, is he really going to keep shooting like this? Like, is, is this an extended hot streak or did he just get way better? And so maybe a month ago or something, I basically asked that question to Dante. And I was like, is this an extended hot streak or are you way better? And his response was really interesting. And he was like, it's not even that I'm a better shooter, but I'm smarter about my shots. And this was before everybody went down. He started taking, you know, 12 contested 30 foot off the dribble jumpers a game. 
But he was saying, you know, you look at what I did in Sacramento and I shot like 36%. And he looks at the analytics. He's aware of all this stuff. He's like, I shot like 36% from three or whatever it was in Sacramento. But I was 40% on cats and shoots. And I just don't feel like I have anything to prove anymore. Like, I know what I am as a player. I've been in the league long enough. I don't feel like I need to prove, oh, yeah, I can take guys off the dribble. Oh, yeah, I can hit these pull-ups. I don't feel that. I know where I'm really good is I'm really good in the corners, and I'm really good off the catch. And if I can just be really good in the corners and really good off the catch, I'm going to hit shots. And he was like, he was like, go look at the ratio. Go see how many more shots are off the catch. Go see how many more shots are from the corners. And you look at it, higher percentage of his threes this season are from the corners than any other year of his career. I think that's still true. And you look at it, and the numbers on the catch are pretty similar to what the numbers were off the catch from, like he said, Sacramento, which was actually overall down, down shooting season for him. And he's kind of he had kind of reproportioned that. Now, over the last month, it's not as true anymore. Now he's taking ridiculously difficult shots. And he's hitting all of them. And it's insane the way that he's playing and the the leap that he's made. But sometimes you can think what's going on and, and somebody who's closer to it can just give you a better perspective. This was something that I had with Miles McBride too, where I was always of the mind that McBride couldn't shoot. And I would watch him from... I mean, I remember watching him training camp his rookie year. I remember watching him shoot around. And I remember watching one shot where his elbow went out, another shot where his elbow went in, another shot where his elbow went to the side. And I was like, man, there's just no consistency here. This is going to be a problem. And I knew he shot 40-some-odd percent at West Virginia, but I was like, he's not going to shoot. And he didn't for two years. And when he re-enters the rotation, I'm shocked that the threes are going in. And then you talk to people. And Tibbs talks about, well, you know, over the last year in practice, we've seen a lot more. I talked to McBride about it, and he's like, well, I really started to get consistency with my elbow on the jump shot about a year ago. And then Tibbs says, over the last year, we've actually seen that in practice, when the Knicks track all of their numbers and stuff, the shooting numbers have been really good. And usually that comes for a little bit in practice before you see it on the court. It doesn't just go from not good in practice to good in practice and good on the court. It goes from not good at all to good in practice and then eventually good when it matters if you make it to that step. And Tibbs, Tibbs was saying for a little bit behind the scenes, like he is better offensively than you think. And I was like, why? And And now you know it's because they have that stuff behind the scenes. So it's like, if you just don't, you can't just take what you're seeing at face value. You kind of always have to keep asking, okay, why? Okay, well, okay, so he was good. In, he started making them in practice. Okay, why did he start making them in practice? Oh, it's because he actually straightened out the elbow stuff that he was working out with. Okay, why did he straighten out the elbow? Talk to McBride about that. You know, and it's like you just keep going and going and going and going until there's just nothing else to squeeze out of the rag. Yeah, and to, you know, People tuning in, probably tuning in for a lot of data reasons. They, you know, we get a lot of analytics talk here to try and marry the data to what Fred was just saying. Uh, first thing about DiVincenzo, 
He has the same percentage of assisted threes as he did last year. Highest of his career, he's being assisted on almost 93% of his threes, which basically means he's self-creating very, very few of his of his own threes. Um, again, career high. He's also, to go to his improvement as a shooter, shooting a career high from both the mid-range and the three, shooting 54% from mid-range, which is in 98th percentile, and he's shooting almost 42% from three, despite averaging almost 11 threes per 75 possessions, which is bonkers like that's (laughs) way higher than he's ever attempted in his whole life and somehow he's still shooting the highest percentage of his life so yeah and it's just like when you're so data driven you don't even consider that like these guys aren't robots who are just on a linear progression you know it's like it's more of a roller coaster than someone like myself or maybe even xj would want to admit and so hearing that from you is super interesting i don't know about you xj yeah, I, I think that's all super interesting. I think the DiVincenzo like specific uh, point is so interesting to me because of just the numbers that you've mentioned, Jeff. And then the fact that I guess it's like for me from a data perspective, I could like almost buy everything up until the point where recently DiVincenzo is just like actually automatic from everything from like difficult shots off the dribble shots, like deep threes. He, It's like, that's the part where it's like, okay, what am I watching here? And there's no data to support this. Like <laughs> as far as I know, like there's no precedent for it. And that's where I really struggle when there's like no precedent for a player kind of making this kind of transition at the certain age, at the certain trajectory of their career. That's where I'm like, okay, what is going on? And that's where kind of you talking about Fred, like the, the, the almost like the five wise approach, like you keep diving that level deeper to see what's going on, what could be causing this. That's the thing that's, that piques my curiosity. And so that's really helpful to hear you talk about from your perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just kind of have to keep just digging and digging and digging and and seeing what else you can find. I mean, I think I generally believe there is a logical explanation for everything that happens. And just because we don't know what that logical explanation is, just because it's not apparent in the numbers or the data is does not mean that that explanation doesn't exist. For example, people who are analytics there are a lot of people who are analytics leaning who say oh the clutch the clutch gene is not a thing it doesn't exist clutch play is is randomness you know and you you can't use player x averaged these numbers during clutch time as a way to project what his clutch time numbers would be moving forward you you figure over the larger sample size whatever that player is in clutch time is going to probably be along the lines of what he is in non-clutch time. You're just going to kind of even out and be the player that you are. I feel like you're quoting well, me, by the way, and, I, and I'm going to take offense to your rebuttal, by the way. <laughs> I'm well, just kidding. <laughs> while, while I believe that to be true, and I don't analyze the clutch numbers and say this guy is clutch because of the clutch numbers, you also get to know people. You get to know players. And we know people who are like this in life. Who, when the pressure goes up, they just shrink. And we all have people in our lives who are like, well, yeah, of of course he's a straight A student who did terribly on the SATs. That's that's the most anxious person I know. Like he probably freaked out during the SATs, you know, even though he's so smart, knew all the material, he probably freaked out, couldn't pull it off. We all know people who are the opposite, who are the ultimate foxhole people 
who like maybe that person isn't the most street smart person, but it's like that is the person I want in my foxhole because if I need something done in a high pressure situation, this person's going to be totally unfazed and will get it done. And the, any random sample, I mean, look, NBA players are just basically a they're essentially from a personality type, a random sampling of people, you know, being really, 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 really good at basketball is not indicative of any kind of personality traits. Some of them are incredible leaders. Some of them are not incredible leaders. Some of them are unbelievably smart. Some of them are not unbelievably smart. Some of them are those ultimate foxhole people. And some of them are the people who shrink. And I don't believe you can like parse away from the numbers. And I, I don't know how you can prove definitively in a yes or no fashion who is clutch and who isn't clutch. But because we can't, just because we can't answer that in a sufficient fashion doesn't mean that the concept doesn't exist. You know what I mean? And so I, I think you kind of have to approach journalism in a way of like, all right, I can't answer this yet, but I'm still going to search. I'm going to search for as much as I possibly can, which is like, you know, this playoff thing is a thing that I think about with Julius Randle all the time. Where it's like, people say Julius Randle is bad in the playoffs because he has been bad in the playoffs. I genuinely don't know if that means he will continue to be bad in the playoffs. He was so hurt during that Miami series last year and wouldn't tell anybody. And I just don't know if there's anything we can take away from that. And then the Hawks series was his first time being swarmed in a playoff series the way that he was, and the Knicks didn't have the roster to combat it. And maybe Randall is just a guy who won't be good in the playoffs. Maybe. I just, there's some stuff where I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out all the reasons behind it and why and what people are thinking and all of that. And to me, that's also just like, we don't need to find an answer for a story to be written. We could just be like, here's an interesting question. Nobody knows the answer, but here's all the information I can find out about it. I I just love this point so much. And I'm going to try not to just like harp on this because this is, this has really piqued my interest. I, I totally agree as far as like, you know, people who can potentially shrink in these clutch situations. I think that's definitely true. And I love your point about it being, you know, the NBA players being just a random sampling of the population, the general population of the United States or, you know, now internationally. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's so interesting that as far as my belief about how players perform in the clutch I do think there are people who are essentially like sensitive to uh, maybe scientifically the way I would explain it is like they're sensitive to like their own adrenaline uh, or or cortisol system. So they might respond to um, actually here's a good way to explain it. People who have like disordered anxiety. It's not just that they are like, you know, get more anxious than others. It's that they tend to be anxious of their own anxiety so if you have like a heart palpitation or you have like a stomach issue as a result of being anxious in a situation now that becomes disordered when you're also afraid of the heart palpitation right like you're afraid of that symptom so then it just creates a spiral and you may have that sensitivity and then we'll see those players actually struggle more in these situations where those adrenaline levels rise right so i totally buy that as not just by, I think that that's probably deductively true. Um, 
It's just projecting which players that's true about and then being able to say, oh, look, Julius had two rough playoff series. He's one of those guys. It's like, I don't think you can do that. Like, I don't think you can just point to he hasn't had success in, across, you know, a 14 game sample and say, yeah, he's one of those guys. So that's that's where I feel like, you know, the data we need a larger sample to be able to say, yes, this is a, a trend that we know is true. And then we can retroactively be like, why is this happening? You know? So that, that's how I view that. Totally. And that's why it's important for, for my sake to be able to know people on a deeper level than just understanding their games. You know, it's, 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 it's important for me to be able to look at Julius Randall and be like, you know, Julius Randall's kind of an introverted guy. He cares a ton about the game he cares a ton about being prepared about playing every single night i think if he could find one doctor that allowed him to play with a dislocated shoulder i think he would do it i think he's just a freaking maniac in that sense and i just there's nothing that i see where I'm like, now it might be the case that he's not there, but there's nothing that I see where I could definitively be like, he will be good in the playoffs or he won't be good in the playoffs. There are some guys who I have covered where you can see it. I covered Andre Robertson when I was covering the Thunder. And I will never forget Andre, who was this really open guy, sweet guy. And could not hit free throws and the Rockets were fouling him intentionally at the end of a playoff series. And he's just missing free throws like crazy. And they lost that game because of the hacking stuff. And after that game, he was distraught. I mean, he was, he was, he was like almost tearful and was so distraught. And from that moment on, he started to really just never want to go at the hoop because he just, he, it was like he was having flashbacks to the line being around Andre. I could tell that that was the case. You knew that was what he was thinking. And it was really unfortunate to see. And, you know, that's a time where something gets, and obviously look, he was a unbelievable defender. And what happened with his career is such a shame with the injuries ending his career and that, that, you know, this was not what ended his career. It was that he tore his patella tendon and he never recovered properly. And he was an unbelievable defender, but that's a time where I'm like, okay, well, emotionally, this guy has, has got some stuff that he needs to work on. Not because he was, you know, any, any kind of a, a mess of a human being or anything like that. He was, I, I was, so impressed by him as a person after that game, the way he still stayed and talked to us in what was such a difficult moment for him. Now he answered every question when he just looked, nobody wanted to be there asking him those questions and we all had to do our jobs. And in those moments, the reporters never want to be doing that crap. You know, it's just like, this is a nice dude who just had a horrific day. And now we're asking him questions about it nobody wants to be there. And so, cause we have, we, you know, we're impartial, but we, we're socially competent, you know, like we, we, we understand when someone is there just having the worst day ever. Like that's, 
it's not fun it's not a fun yeah. activity you're just a human like, like experiencing another human in that space that's totally that's difficult. especially yeah. when it's like oh this is just like a guy who's nice to everybody you know like it's just you feel even different but like that's a situation where it's like okay you can see it and then there are other guys where you're like this guy's just totally uninhibited there's some guys who i cover who are so oblivious like, like my theory on on Mitchell Robinson being amazing in the Cavs theory is that like Mitch might not have even known it was the playoffs, you know. Like, <laughs> you might have thought it was I December. <laughs> I I hope that's not like I hope it's not close to true. No, I hope it's actually. I'm just I'm just joking around, but Mitch. Yeah, Mitch, like yeah. I mean, people know Mitch's personality. He lives in his own world, you know, and so like. Mitch is never going to be psyched out by the playoffs. He's he's just so in Mitchell Robinson land all the time. Like he's never going to let a big moment get to him like that because that's just not it's not how his brain works. And there's some people who I can say that about because I feel like I know them well enough to be able to to break that down. And then there are but but whenever I have that opinion on a player or a thought on a player analysis of a player, it's never it's never really because like oh he shot this percentage in the clutch and thus. He's a clutch guy. I love that. And I think I totally buy that that level of like aloofness essentially insulates you to, to being impacted by pressure. And I, I actually hope, I mean, I think that if players could just have that, like just, I don't even know what month it is. Like if they could choose to have that mentality, they probably would want it, right? Like you probably would just want your performance in the playoffs to just reflect who you are as a player rather than the way that you respond to pressure situations, right? Like that, that's probably what you would choose if you could. So I love that. Totally. You guys baseball fans? Yeah. Who's yeah. the all-time leader in playoff home runs, I think? It's Derek Jeter. Manny Ramirez. In in playoff home runs, yeah, Manny Ramirez. That, that's that's surprising because I don't know how many playoff series he's been involved in. <laughs> but but you know who also probably has no idea how many playoff series he's Manny been Ramirez. In? Manny Ramirez. <laughs> hey, Manny being Manny, it means he just woke up, rolled out of bed, list ball today. So that's I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I so I just have I we've kind of sort of segued already into the Knicks stuff and this has been such an interesting conversation so I, I I'm so happy with the this talk and appreciate you Fred again um we both Jeff and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh minutes and I know you had a recent Knicks film school appearance with John you talked a little bit about you know the minutes that you know the guys are playing um and we've been talking about Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo's last 15 games, scoring 20 a game on 39% from three. As Jeff mentioned, nearly 11 attempts from three a game. Um, throw in there four assists and four rebounds. In my opinion, if he were to keep that up, I think he thrusts himself squarely in the most improved player conversation, which he is nowhere near right now. But were he to continue to do that for an entire season, that would be a huge improvement. Um but at the same time, he's probably been playing an unsustainable number of, and as you said on Nick's film school, kind of like higher intensity minutes. So it's not just a lot of minutes, but it's it's higher intensity, higher leverage minutes than he's used to. Um, but given his success under those circumstances, my kind of question is, how do you think he feels about the minutes? So, um, and I think this could go about, this could go for Precious, this, this could go for Hardenstein as well. I could imagine them loving the minutes. Like, 
hell yeah, I finally get to show what I can do with more responsibility, more playing time than I've ever received. You know, I could imagine Deuce McBride, who just got five minutes the other night, like, bro, I would kill for 42 minutes. I would, I would love to be out there for, you know, the whole game. Or is it more like, dude, this minute slowed is a lot. My body feels banged up. I wish it was five to 10 fewer minutes, you know, that I could perform at my highest level consistently. Like, I guess it's just more like, from your perspective, what do the players feel about the minutes load that they've kind of been running out under these circumstances where guys are injured, obviously? I think it varies depending on the player. I don't really gather that Dante cares at all. I think he's thrilled to be playing a ton of minutes. That's just kind of his personality. Josh Hart is feeling really banged up. He's been pretty vocal about the fact that he would not love to be playing 40 minutes as often as he is. But Josh is vocal about not playing enough, He's vocal about playing too much. You know, that's just what Josh is. I said to Josh recently, like never, never covered a player who complains about as many different aspects of his role as he does. And just no one in the locker room cares. Just <laughs> he mentioned you on the roommates podcast. I heard uh, I by, know by name dropped a little Fred Katz there on the roommates. So. I went I went up to him and I was like, dude. I just interviewed you about this for a story that I'm doing about how nobody cares about all of your complaining. And then you're throwing my story ideas out there to the world. <laughs> I'm not upset with you as a player. I'm upset with you now as a member of Nick's media who should know that it's disrespectful to do that to another reporter. You shouldn't be giving away other people's story <laughs> ideas. That's I mean, I, so I get I, I, I guess this leads to, because I, I think your answer is the most, I don't want to say obvious, but the most natural one. It depends on the personality. Do you have a grasp of what the front office thinks? Because if I'm in the front office, on one hand, it's like, well, we hired this coach. We, we, like, we knew the good and the maybe not so good sometimes that we, we're making our bed here. But on the other hand, they have to have so much data that's like, look, this roster finally after four years we've given Tibbs a roster that can do something that can make some noise given the state of this league we have all this data that like if they keep this up it's going to be really hard to peak when you need to peak is are there people in the front office that are like hey cut it out or is it all just is it all everyone's on the same ship and everyone's on board with what Tibbs does so the Knicks have a lot of cooks in the kitchen with the front office and, and again, annoying answer. I think it kind of varies depending on the person. I think in general, there have definitely been disagreements on minutes, totals, and roles between the front office and Tibbs. Not in like a they're at odds sort of way, but just in like different people have different opinions sort of way. For example, I think the front office was was hoping that Grimes would have a bigger role after the Quickly and Barrett trade. I think one of the one of the things that the front office believed coming out of that trade was okay. Not, not only is this bringing in OG and Anobi, a guy who this team has been after for a long time, not only are you trading Emmanuel quickly, somebody who I think we all agreed was the most likely Nick of consequence to get traded at some point this season because of the, you know, the, the, his upcoming restricted free agency and the fact that they couldn't negotiate an extension before the year, but you're also opening up, some minutes and more responsibilities for Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride. And that was something they wanted to do. They saw what Deuce was doing behind the scenes and they were like, this guy is an NBA rotation player now. And we would like to, we would like to see him prove that. So let's open up minutes for him. And with Grimes, the front office saw Grimes kind of falling out of favor. And for what it's worth, 
I don't think anyone is is looking at it and being like, damn, Grimes never should have lost the starting job to DiVincenzo, especially with the way DiVincenzo is playing now. You know, DiVincenzo is, I mean, you guys just talked about it. He's having an unbelievable season. I don't think anybody can look at what DiVincenzo has done this season and could ever think that putting him in the starting lineup was a mistake. But I think that the 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 front office was hoping, okay, maybe Grimes goes back to a 25-minute role and Hart's minutes get reduced a little bit, and he stands in in, in in those reserve units, maybe gets some more units as minutes with the first unit. The problem is that Tibbs never wanted to play Grimes and DiVincenzo, and DiVincenzo together. He just never wanted to do it. He, he kind of had divided the wings into the bigger wings and the smaller wings. And the smaller wings were like DiVincenzo and Grimes. And the bigger wings were like Josh Hart and RJ. And he wanted one of those guys, at least, next to DiVincenzo or Grimes at basically all times. And the better DiVincenzo was playing, it kind of just meant the fewer minutes for Grimes because he just wasn't going to play them together. And until they started to get ravaged by injuries, those guys did not play together. They only really did it once the team started getting hit with the OG injury and the Julius injury. And then all of a sudden you start to see them play together a little bit more because they just didn't have anybody else. And so the Grimes minutes were not so different after the trade. And I think that was something where like the front office wanted more. Um, I think there are definitely people in the front office who are like, DiVincenzo is playing too many minutes. You know, Hartenstein, for example, does not have a perfect health history and was playing entire second halves. I think there were definitely people in the front office who were like, you cannot play Isaiah Hartenstein an entire second half. You, you just can't do that all the time. You know, you can't do that twice, let alone all the time. Yeah, like right. You, just, you, can't, you can't be doing that stuff. And so I think there are disagreements there. I also think people know this comes with the territory and there's some people in the front office who are not as big fans of Tibbs as others, but I also think on the whole, they really, I mean, this, they really believe in this team, even, even on a three game losing streak right now, they really believe in this team. They really believe they can make noise. They should when they're healthy, they're really good. And I think pretty much everybody sees the positives of the Thibodeau effect. You know what I mean? In terms of the culture they have right now, how hard they play, how good they look defensively. And, you know, even just like, like part of the reason Jalen Brunson signed with the Knicks is because he wanted to play for Tibbs, you know, because he's just known him since he was a tiny, a tiny child. Uh, so I think there, there are a lot of, Tibbs things they look at that outweigh the other stuff, but there are definitely people there who are like, minutes are a lot, dude. They're a lot. Yeah. And as they should, to be clear, like, I don't know, I do a poor job of making this clear. I mean, look at someone like Precious Achua. What, what they're getting from Precious right now, you can almost, I mean, I don't want to take credit away from Precious himself. I'm sure he works super hard. I'm sure, I'm sure he's a really talented guy, but you look at the shots he doesn't take since the second he becomes a Nick, you look at how locked in he is on defense. You have to attribute some of that to coaching and, and being prepared night in and night out. And you can't just say, Oh, well, precious would have found this anywhere. I think, I think it's reasonable to say they aligned the skill that he clearly has with, you know, great coaching, and great preparation. That's just credit to Tibbs right there. Totally. Tibbs is really good at, 
taking players who feel like they've bitten off too much to chew in other places and simplifying their roles to maximize their success. Uh, I think Mitchell Robinson is a great example of that. You know, Mitch, where it was, you know, he, he tried to block everything when he came into the league and he was out of rebounding position all the time, out of defensive position all the time. And, you know, Tibbs has done such a good job of simplifying the game for him. Okay. Somebody cuts here. I know this is where I have to go every time, you know, regarding a pick and roll. This guy goes this way. I have to go this way. Uh, he Mitch, like openly doesn't care about blocks anymore. I was talking to him and I, I referred to him as this was earlier in the season and he had gone like a few games in a row without even having a block. And I referred to him just like casually as a shot blocker. He was like, I'm not a shot blocker. I was like, what are you talking about? You're not a shot blocker. It's like, how many how many shots I blocked the last like three games? And I was like, well, none, but you're a shot blocker. He was like, no, nah, I don't care about shot blocking. It's all wrong. I should have never cared about shot blocking. Like where I, I just want to alter all these shots. Like I, I just want to be, I just want, I just want to alter all these shots. And then Josh Hart overheard our conversation. Josh was sitting in his locker and, and Josh interrupts. He's like, you're not a shot blocker, but you're a different kind of thing. And Mitch was like, what do you mean? And then Josh just put both of his, his arms, his hands on his shoulders and like shivered. Like, like, like when you see a ghost to imply like people <laughs> just come in the lane, they're just afraid. They're just afraid. The shot intimidator. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Which is, you, you really see that with Anthony Davis. I watched Pistons, Lakers last night. I watched, I watched, you know, just a ton of NBA. Guys won't even put up shots, but when Anthony Davis is in the vicinity and he's not a super gambly shot blocker. And what you're saying about Mitch rings so true there. Like he, he doesn't even need to jump anymore. He's, he's almost altering the shot just by being there. And to your 100%. point, Fred. Uh, the, the Mitchell Robinson's shot block percentage has gone down every year of his career. His rookie year was a 10%, which is a super high number. 99th percentile in the NBA has gone down every year since and is down to 4.2% this year, which is still a very high number, but way off his, you know, where he started. So that's a great point. And he's a better defender than he's ever been, right? And is better before, than he's ever been. Before he got hurt, he was better than he's ever been. And I think... You know, Tibbs got a certain message across to him that he has now adopted to the extreme and has simplified his role, simplified the game. And I don't think anybody can look at what Mitch, before he got hurt, he was playing at an all-defense level, in my opinion. And I don't think anybody can look at the way the season that Mitch was having before he got hurt and be like, you think anything other than this coaching staff has squeezed every single ounce of talent out of Mitch that you can get. Like, I don't think you can look at what Jalen Brunson is doing right now and be like, they, they are helping Jalen Brunson become one of the best point guards an all NBA caliber player. Uh, same thing with Julius Randall. You know, I think, I think they're really good at simplifying the game for a lot of people, especially like centers, especially guys like Mitch precious who play that more defensive minded energy guy role really good at, at doing that. Like, look at what happened when Nolan's Noel took over for Mitchell Robinson during that, during the, the, the Hawks year, right? Like they Nolan's Noel all of a sudden comes in and becomes this defensive anchor. And Noel hasn't really done anything since, you know, Hardenstein leads the NBA in defensive EPM. 
<laughs> the guy, the yes. guy that they were bringing in to be like a stretch five who could Jokic of the East now leads all of the NBA in defensive EPM. Totally. And it's also because Hartenstein has bought into it. At the beginning, he, Hartenstein was a little slow to buy into the role. At the beginning, he was like, when I was with the Clippers, they're using me in the high post. I'm running the second unit offense, basically. The Clippers, the crazy Clippers fans are calling me the unheralded Jokic. You know, like they now now I'm just going to screen and dive and got to be defensive. And, and, and to Hartenstein's credit for what it's worth. I think that last year with the Clippers, part one of the things that Tibbs saw in Hartenstein and one of the reasons that the Knicks wanted to sign him was his rim protection data was really good that year with the Clippers. He was playing like 18 minutes a game, but I think opponents were shooting 48% on dunks and layups when Hartenstein was the closest defender. And that's an awesome number. It was it was right near the top of the league. That, But that's like once you get under 50% on dunks and layups when when you're the closest defender, that's like even a little over 50%, that's a very good number. But if you're in the forties, that's like, that's like Rudy Gobert territory. You know, that's, that's really, really good. That's Rudy Gobert territory. That's Walker Kessler territory. That's, 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 that's really, really, that's where the top notch rim protectors are. And the Knicks were super intrigued with that stat. Tibbs was super intrigued with that stat and was like, Oh, I can, I can make this happen. And I think at first Hartenstein, he was also dealing with the Achilles thing for a lot of the beginning of last year, which definitely hampered him. But I think it took him a little bit to buy in. And then eventually once he decided, you know what, screw it. I'm diving into this. Now, all of a sudden he can do all the Tibbsy stuff, but it's not like he's forgotten how to pass. You know, it's not like he's forgotten that he's a skillful big. It's not that he's like, he's forgotten that he's a smart defensive anchor. And now all of a sudden he's just kind of got this full package where he's able to do all of this stuff. And it's, I, I think in part because he bought into how the Knicks wanted to use him, but now he's this very malleable guy who he's a free agent after this year. I think basically any team could convince themselves that from about forget about the finances, obviously, but just from a basketball perspective, you could be like, yeah, we can make this work because if we want him to be more of a conventional old school center type, he'll thrive. If we want him to handle the ball a little bit more, he'll thrive. Like it, it's just, he's so much more versatile now than he was two years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. It, it's pretty incredible how versatile Hardenstein is and can really do anything almost on, on both ends, which is incredible. Um, yeah, I, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Fred. Uh, we want to be mindful of your time. You've given us a ton. We've covered, this has been such an interesting conversation. I hope that, you know, our audience really appreciates all the insights that you've brought. One of the biggest takeaways I appreciate is that whenever we talk about, you know, quote unquote, the players or quote unquote, the front office, you're always there to interject and say like, you know, these, this is a group of individuals, right? And it's like, these players may feel this way. This player may feel this way. This person in the front office may feel this way. This person may feel this way. And it's always helpful to continue to bring that insight. As we talk about, when we talk about analytics, we talk about data, we talk about large samples. We talk about trends. We talk about stuff that we see across the entire NBA averages, things like that. But when we're talking about individuals, you know, there, there's a big difference there and that's always important insight to bring. And so that I feel like this conversation has been tremendous for bringing that. Um, anything you want to close? with Jeff or anything you want to say before I, I sign us out? No, I just want to echo your thoughts and thank Fred for coming on. Honestly, I didn't, I was having such a good time 
enjoying the conversation that I didn't even notice that we had gone on for so long already. So thanks so much for coming on and, you know, maybe sometime next season or later in the season, we can have you on again. We'd love, like you, we love talking hoops. So this was awesome. I would love, I would love to come back. Thank you for having me on guys. It was, uh, this was fun. I really appreciate it. I love, I love talking journalism too. Like I'm such a, I'm such a freaking nerd to bring it full circle. I'm such a bring nerd it back. That stuff. Shove me all the way. Into the <laughs> I, I love, I loved, I just, I love, I'm such a journalism geek. You know, I decided when I was like nine years old, I wanted to be a sports reporter and it was because it was just the only job in which I wouldn't get fired for watching sports at the office. And that still is a lot of my logic today, but I really love, I've, I've fallen in love with journal. Like it, like when I was like, majoring it and in it in college i just like fell in love with journalism so i'm always down to talk journalism i love that stuff that's awesome and it's amazing to be able to do and make a career an amazing career that you have out of the thing that you love so i I know everybody is you just made everybody jealous in the audience who was listening to this at their day jobs it's like damn it i wish i felt that way about my job (laughs) so that's i am very lucky it does not get lost on me i'm very 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 lucky yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, another shout out to Cats and Shoot. You know, I, I listened to your most recent episode with Nikias. Nikias Duncan, I thought it was excellent. You know, everything I've heard from the pod has been awesome. So, you know, tremendous guests, unbeatable insight, obviously. So I recommend everyone check that out. And your writing, everyone listening to us obviously knows about your writing. So um, yeah, thanks again, Fred. We really appreciate your time. And uh, this has been Hot Hand Theory.